Welcome to Screen Time, movie streaming, and everything in between. I'm Gary Tangway. This is my buddy, Giuliano, and I am so psyched for today's show. I cannot tell you how excited I am because I have just spent, well, what, five hours re-watching Die Hard, the first one, and then The Rock, two of my favorite action movies of all time. And they hold up, Drew, and that's going to be the theme of our show. We're going to talk about these two action movies Later on on our YouTube channel, uh, in another segment, we'll have our, our top five action movies according to us, but that's coming up. You can click on that later. I just had a ball. I mean, where do you, your, your thoughts? Um, but yeah, I mean, it's amazing, especially The Rock, how well it holds up. It does. I watched it again last night, and my wife said, oh, I don't want to watch it again. And she never got up off the couch. <laughs> she was, and she kept trying to talk through it. This is great. This is great. Like, please, let's just listen. It's good. And uh, look, they're my top two. So I'm going to have to give five others because these are my top two favorite action movies. Well, I, as you know, I'm trying not to violate any any copyright. No, you know, it's fair use. Don't worry. Yeah, yeah, when, Sh- when Sean Connery comes walking out into prison to talk to, you know, Ed Harris, humble. It's like one of the greatest moments in action movie cinematic history. Yeah, it's just, it's it's phenomenal. And, you know, I wrote a couple action movies. They didn't get made. One almost did, but you know, there's no such thing as almost in Hollywood. But anyway, I'm a big fan, and I was certainly inspired by Die Hard and... Well, The Rock came out when I was in the midst of writing all that stuff. So, um, you know, they're just they're, they're two I go back to all the time. They're, you know, like if I'm switching the channels and one of them's on, I don't I don't change the channel right. again. Until right. I'm done. I mean, it's done. If, if The Rock is on, say TNT, I go I sit through the commercials. Oh yeah, absolutely. You know. Okay, so let's start with The Rock, and I love these two movies so much that I I made some notes. Now, to me, Jerry Bruckheimer never gets enough credit for the movies that he's made. Now, Top Gun has been nominated for an Academy Award. It's probably not going to win. I would just like to see it win so that we could, you know, the Academy could just, like, loosen up a little bit, okay? You know, it's a movie. I understand that there are some other great movies. Two Leslie I saw, which I highly recommend. Tar, don't waste your time. I told Drew not to watch it, and because when you get to the ending, Drew, you'll throw your computer through the window. But um, but Bruckheimer, to me, is a genius. And this is one of his movies. You know, Bruckheimer and Simpson, Don Simpson, the late Don Simpson. You know, Bruckheimer doesn't get enough credit for enough movies like The Rock. Yeah, I mean, if you think about it from an award standpoint, I think the The Rock got nominated for one for sound, and Die Hard got nominated for four. Sound, sound editing, visual effects, and some other thing. It, it, not, not, you know, I can't even, editing probably. Something like that. It, they do. They get tossed aside, and I don't know why. Because um, they have lasting appeal. There's no question they have lasting appeal. And th- they hold up. And well, this is this is my thing, Drew, because you're a writer. You taught me how to write. Um, the Rock does not get enough movie, enough credit, excuse me, for its screenplay. And let me just give you an example. Generally, you will have a very formulaic villain. Okay. Mm. Is Ed Harris really a villain? 
And, Bingo. and the two right. things I would say about these movies is villains, they got great villains. Great villains. And humor. Great humor. Go ahead. All right. Well, let's let's start with Ed Harris, because I forgot. You're sympathetic. Of course. Like so so Ed Harris is technically the antagonist or the villain. It kind of, you know, at the end, I think everybody has seen The Rock. And if you haven't seen The Rock, young people, you should watch it. Absolutely. Uh, you should absolutely watch it. Because the movie starts with him. And I forgot that. Yeah. Starts with God. It starts with Ed Harris. And it establishes why he is the way he is. And you have some sympathy for him. And that generally doesn't happen in an action movie. I once got great advice in screenwriting, which is the villain in every movie should think they're the hero. <laughs> it's great advice. It's great advice. And both of them qualify. Both of them qualify under that sure. definition here. And let's stick with Ed Harris. You're, you're enormously sympathetic. You know, after a shooting goes bad, he's really sympathetic. Then again, he he wants to act tough. He wants to get money for his guys and recognition right. for his guys. And but at the same time, he's risking the lives not only of 81 people, but a million people, 70,000, they say in San Francisco. Yeah. I mean, because his his cause is just, mm -hmm. but his methodology is not, yep. which, as you have you have taught um, and you've also illustrated in your work the gray area. Yeah. You gotta have that gray area to make a great character. And and it's it's throughout this, and look, the characters are just phenomenal. Stanley God's Goodspeed is, you know, I'm I drive a Volvo, a right. beige one. You know, and then the humor is just, you know, I'll try my best. Your best. All the losers talk about trying their best. The winners go home and bang. Promptly. He doesn't say bang. Uh, it, it, it's just and great. Then Stanley, and then Stanley says, uh, my wife. Carlo was, was the prom king. Carlo yes. was the prom king. Well, let's talk about the writing for a minute, Drew, because I wrote some of the lines down. Because in these action movies, some of the writing and the structure is on point. I mean, it really is. You know, from the moment... Early on in the movie, because, again, I, I'm assuming most people have seen it, where hostages are taken on Alcatraz Island and um, Nicolas Cage and Sean Connery have to get them off or the terrorists at Harris and his military guys are going to blow up San Francisco. But in the movie, at the beginning, you see Goodspeed, Nicolas Cage, has to has to deal with the serum, right? The antidote that he has to stab in his heart. And it's Set right on page off. one. And then it comes on the last page of the movie again. It's yeah. perfect writing. Set up and pay off. I'm going to tell you something else, the writing. It's an interesting thing. That big action sequence in the beginning when John Mason, Sean Connery, escapes from the hotel and goes right. on a, you think he's trying to run away, and and Nick Cage goes after him. Stanley Goodspeed goes after him. That was added. That wasn't in the original screenplay. Really? That was added. I think, I think uh, Michael Bay and, and Bruckheimer wanted right. that. And, and it accomplishes four great things. First of all, it's an action sequence. Right. Second of all, it establishes a reason why John Mason is not going to let San Francisco get blown up because his daughter's there. Nick Cage proves he's capable of doing stuff other than just being a chemical guy. 
Correct. And, he can follow him. He caught him. And again, foreshadowing, he plays it easy on John Mason when he finally catches him at the end of that action sequence. He could have him, you know, pretend he's arrested in front of his daughter. Right. Instead, he says, oh, you're working with us. And it, it just sets up the characters beautifully. And it was a brilliant idea to put that in. Now, and you think about it, that action sequence has nothing to do with the plot. It's nothing to do with the hostages. It's nothing to do with anything. Well, but it's a, well, it's a great thing. No, you know what I drew? I, what I think it does do, I understand what you're saying. The, the, the storyline would have been complete without it. Mm-hmm. But again, at you the end, it. at the yeah. end, when Nicolas Cage lets Mason go, it's the second time. And it gives him more it's of like a the shot to the heart. Yep. Shot to the heart. Right. Both ways. And, and and of course, this is the great thing about an action movie. You know, Nicolas Cage has one second to stab himself in the heart to save his life. And of course he does it, but we don't care. You know, every action care. movie is preposterous. You True. just accept it. But well, it's brilliant and you love the emotion of it. That ending, by the way, is one of my all-time favorites. He does that and grabs the flares. Yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's visually, emotionally, everything. It's phenomenal. It's a phenomenal ending. What Michael Bay does and what a lot of Bruckheimer films, what they do is just when you think they can't take you to another level, they do. Wait, yeah. there's more. There's it's more. Like, you know, just to the ending, again, assuming everybody has seen it, the flares go up. We're going to save the day. Oops. Oh, no. A bomb was dropped. They might not survive. So it just keeps going and going and going. It's brilliant. And there's the thing, is he going to let John Mason go? And then there's the denouement when he tells him to go to Fort Walton, Kansas. And it's just brilliant. It's brilliant. And you have the same thing, by the way, in Die Hard. At the end of Die Hard, you get that extra thing at the end when it's, it's over. Oh, it's all done. We don't have to worry about it. And you get that extra little shot that's fantastic. Well, let's let's move to Die Hard. And just a couple of things I want to say about The Rock. Um, it's awesome that the two cars that they use for the chase just happen to be a Hummer and a Ferrari. Yeah. Okay, You know it's a Bruckheimer and a Bay movie. It's not going to be a Volvo and a Chevy. No. And um, the the lines in it are great. Like Ed Harris goes, you know, Bob, this guy, Alcatraz, this, this ranger in Alcatraz is giving a tour of Alcatraz. Before Harris and his guys take control of the alley, tours over Bob. <laughs> tours over Bob. Tours over Bob. Um, and yeah, I mean, and, and also the chase scene. I remember you, the chase scene reminds me of um, at the end, you know, when they're in the tunnels and they're they're in the, um, yeah. the it's almost like a mine. They're in these, it's I don't know why they're there. It's, it's stupid. What are they using them for? But who cares? Yeah, what are they it's using them for? They're basically these large buckets that are on this tram and they're in these buckets. And it's almost like they're in a mine, but they're in a prison. But who cares? It's kind of like the chase scene in Monsters, Inc. and Indiana Jones. Yeah. You know, that's what I thought of, which yeah. is phenomenal. So those are my honorable mentions. And also David Morse, who's in so many things. Just an underrated actor. I think he has about 100 credits. Yeah, he's, under, he's terrific. Yeah. Okay. Die Hard, you take it away. Die Hard invented it. John McTiernan, great director. He invented this based on a novel called, uh, what the hell is it? Nothing Lasts Forever, which right. is not even that close, really. They took the best parts of it, basically the, the basic structure, and and made it. It's, it was not thought to be, it was, it was the role was offered to Schwarzenegger and Stallone. They didn't want to do it. They gave it will, to Willis. He was doing Moonlighting on TV at the time. Right. They paid him $5 million, which was 
astronomical back then. They didn't even put him in the poster at first because they thought, oh, this isn't going to, they thought it was going to be horrible. $140 million, which back then was killer for box office. And it just crushed it. And, and it spawned a million other action movies and probably a billion other scripts, which could all be described as Die Hard and a boat, Die Hard on a... Die Hard with a vengeance. Die, well, I, mean, was, I wrote I mean, Die Hard on Martha's Vineyard. So, you, you, know. you did. You're right. Yeah. You did. So, I mean, you know, you know, the thing about Die Hard, I can't decide which I like better, the first Die Hard or the second one. The second one's at the airport in Washington, right? Yeah, very good. Right. Oh, Dennis Franz, phenomenal yeah. in it. I mean, uh-huh. you know... Uh, James Greer, I believe, from Good Times. He's, I mean, it's fit. And and here's another thing with these action movies, the casting is perfect. Alan Rickman, okay, who a lot of young people know from Harry Potter, okay, yeah. Harry Potter, the late Alan Rickman. He's so damn good, and he's the bad guy in Die Hard. He's I he's my best villain ever. Well, he's ever. my best villain ever. It's the best written villain. He was cast by McTiernan and I forget who else when he was doing Shakespeare. Right. And they wanted him. Yeah. He's like, what the hell am I doing this for? And he only knocked it the hell out of the park and was amazing. Destroyed it. Killed it. So damn good. And then you start with Harry Potter. I mean, you take a look at that guy's career, stage, screen, two iconic roles, Probably not as well recognized as we would recognize him for Die Hard, but for Harry Potter, I mm. mean, he's through the. I mean, he's one of the iconic characters yep. to come out of that, to come out of that series. Harry Potter one, two, three, four, thirteen, fourteen, whatever it is. Um, and then again, oh, I also want to give a shout out to Reginald Bell Johnson, Bell Johnson, uh, who played the dad in Urkel, played the dad in Urkel, and. Um, You're bringing up something I'm going to want to talk about. Go ahead, go ahead, ahead, go. Well, what I love about Die Hard, and I used to teach it, is the subplots. Subplots make a movie. And basically a subplot is any secondary character who appears more than a few scenes because they have a story. And it's usually connected to the main story. This subplot is phenomenal. He's a street cop. So when they're doing the talking on the phone and the walkie-talkie, actually, you know, and he says, what are you doing on the street? Well, you know, I had this issue and it comes back at the end. We just talked about at the end, when you think it's over, it comes back at the end. And when you resolve the subplots beautifully, the people walk out of the theater, which they don't do anymore. They walk out of the theater very happy. And and they walked out of this theater like bouncing on their feet because of that. And the subplot with Argyle, the kid who drove the limousine, Great. He, he, he plays a part at the end. It's what you do. You set up the subplot, you bring it back and you pay it off. And Think of it. The marriage. Perfect. Dwayne, the TV guy. Perfect. She punches him in the end. <laughs> Fantastic. Uh, you know, just think of them all. The FBI. It, all of it was so good because the characters were great and there were subplots. And it's very satisfying. You know, people don't think about it, nor should they. It's for people like me who write. That's who should think about it. But right. audiences eat it up like ice cream they do and and willis is great with the one-liners yeah. and there's so many great Come out to the coast we'll get together have a good time yeah, yeah, yeah. i mean and and to me you mentioned the end with uh al al reginald bell johnson i even when i watched it again today 
And to give everybody the quick backstory, Alan Rickman leads a group of terrorists who take take over this building in L.A. And John McClane's wife is in there at a Christmas party. He was a, a guest at the Christmas party. They're having marital troubles. He gets stuck in a bathroom. He's flown in from New York. He's flown in from New York. New York cops. Patch things up. So he's in the building and he hides in the bowels of the building to rescue him. Right. So you think it's over. Right. And I keep forgetting how it ends. He's walking out. Everybody's great. He's got the wife back. He's here and it's great. And then Reginald Bell Johnson comes out and has to. There's one more. There's one more shoe to drop with like 30 seconds left in the movie. And I'm like, I it blew me away again. Alexander Goodenough, who was a ballet star, <laughs> became an actor. He's, he's the bad guy who comes out. Is he really? He was a ballet star? I believe so, yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, look, the the stunts, forget it. Uh, they were iconic. I they, mean. They, they stunts, just blew everybody away. Yeah. Because nobody's seen anything like this. Yeah, you know, I mean. The, the stunt people did yeah. a phenomenal job directing this. He also did, you know, Hunt for Red October. You know, he's done a bunch of stuff. The writers here, fantastic. Stephen yep. D'Souza and um, Jeb Stewart. Yeah. Phenomenal writers. Terrific, terrific, terrific. And uh, the one thing I do want to mention as far as to me, this is great writing is and I'm not giving too much away. Watch if you haven't seen Die Hard People, watch it. Watch it with your dad. Watch it with your older brother. Watch it with your grandfather, whatever. Um, The bare feet. Right. So, okay, this is this is why the writing is so good to me. Now, people might not say this is writing, but I think this is writing. Is John McClane is in the bathroom. And he's just flown in from New York. And, and for some reason, I, did something spill on him? Was that it? And no, he had to take he his takes shoes off? off his shoes because someone told him, if you want to beat jet lag, walk around in your bare feet. Right. That's right. So he's in So he's in his bare feet when the terrorists come in. So he's chasing the terrorists, or they're chasing him, and he's in bare feet the whole time. So you see Alan Rickman, who's Hans, the villain, sees that he has bare feet as they have this one-on-one encounter. And it foreshadows to a big shootout scene where Hans tells the guys, blow out all the windows. So Willis has to walk on glass. Now, are there words? Is it great poetry? Is it a Shakespeare monologue? No, No, but it's great writing. That is great film storytelling. It's awesome. Yeah. And remember his line when he shoots the terrorists and he takes the shoes off the terrorists and says, just my luck. I get a terrorist with shoes the size of my sister's. Right. You can't it's, put them on, they, which is brilliant writing because you deal with, because everybody in the audience is going to sit there. Well, just take the shoes off the dead guy. Right. And he tries to. You know what both movies do as we wrap it up here, Drew? Unless, and, and please jump in if there's something else. What both movies do is they do an excellent job of taking the antagonist and the protagonist and having them meet at about page 60, page 70. Mm-hmm. Like, when Sean Connery comes out and addresses Ed Harris, right, in the middle of the courtyard. It's the second act plot point, I think. What is but, it? Yeah. I think it's the second act, act plot second point. Second act plot point? Out. Okay. So, and he goes, well, I just think, you know, Connery, I just think you're an idiot. You know, and the same thing with McLean. He meets Rickman, Hans. They meet by, you know, in the bowels of an elevator. Um, and Rickman uses the American accent to make sure he doesn't think it's him. Right. So he fools him. And then you think, well, McLean got fooled. He gave him the gun. But were there there bullets in the gun? I mean, there's all kinds of twists and turns. And, you know, the one thing that I will say is the superhero movies, because of superpowers, make it easier for writers. You know, they 
I think it makes it easier for writers because you don't have it. I mean, I have a superpower. I have a jetpack. I have this. I have that. I have a shield. You know, these movies, you don't have that. So you have to come up with creative ways for your hero, for your hero or heroine to get out of a jam. Yeah. Yeah. And and it's in both movies and it's phenomenal. Uh, I, you know, you want simple enjoyment for two hours watch each one of these movies and before great hours out of your life you'll be anything there. else did it because i was hyped up for this one i talked a lot no it's okay um i don't think well i'll save this for the top five okay let make you sure you check out screen time on youtube and uh wherever you get your podcast because we have our top five which will be separate from this we're going to do the top five action movies according to us us and it was not easy no, not easy for Juliana and Gary Tangway. This is screen time, screen time or screen time, whatever uh, movies, streaming and more. Watch The Rock. Watch Die Hard. You won't regret it. Yippee ki I, I can't say it. <laughs> you can say it, man. You can swear. <laughs> nah, not like that. Mm.